AFL Obsessed. I'm so excited about this episode because I have my first interview. On the last episode, I asked about Supercoach and so many people reached out to to me to answer my questions through Twitter and through email, which ultimately brought me into the company of my two guests today. And I've actually since joined the Dr. Supercoach community, so shout out to those peeps. And I'd highly recommend it for anyone looking for footy chat. Um, since I was so starved for that convo here. So it's a great site. And for anyone that's curious or getting into Supercoach, their latest episode on their podcast is actually a 101 kind of like starting point or refresher for beginners. So you can learn more about it too as we go through this together. So I'd like to introduce Doc from the community. He is an American living in footy country, like my dream life. And he does podcasting for the Dr. Supercoach community. So, hey, Doc. Hey, Rosanna. Thanks for having us on. (laughs) I'm so happy to have you as like an extended um, American perspective. So that's super exciting. And also welcome to Chizo, who is one of the three owners and founders of Dr. Supercoach and one of the hosts of their podcast, um, Can't Speak Podcast. Hey, Chizo. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> thank you, thank you. And truth be told, Doc and I, we, we tried an arm wrestle to see who would be the first guest. We both got tired and gave up, so that's why we've got both of us. <laughs> well, um, you're both winners in my book, at least like <laughs> winner on the record. Um, but welcome, guys. Thanks for doing this and being the first guest. And let's just dive right in because I literally have all the questions. Um, Doc, tell us how you got into footy. I'm so curious, like your maybe your first impressions, if you're willing, and maybe how did you find the team that you support? I know it's kind of a loaded question. No, these are that's a great it's a great question to start with. Um, my first exposure into Australian rules uh, rules football was growing up in the Midwestern United States. And I'm old enough to remember when ESPN was not the global sports conglomerate that it is today. And it was often starved for programming. And okay. so when I would get home from school, uh, my as a kid, I liked uh, professional wrestling. It's one of my guilty pleasures as a kid. And before wrestling came on, and this should tell you all you need to know about uh, Australian rules football in the, in the 80s, um, there was a half hour show of roller derby uh, followed by 30 minutes, 30 minutes of a, the VFL highlight show. And so I was watching both roller derby and, uh, the VFL waiting for wrestling to come on. And it was a radically different experience than anything I'd ever seen. And the things that stuck out with me were, um, it seemed like every game was played in the mud, uh, back then, uh, it was just a slot fest. Every game seemed to be raining and the groundskeeping was terrible and every game was just played in a bog. Um, secondly, it was much more physical and violent uh, than it is today. Um, it, it seemed like there was just, you know, it was very combative and occasionally a game of football would break out. And then you had the, you know, the what I remember st- uh, jumping out at me was the umpires in their long white butcher coats, uh, which oh, yes. I which I fondly remember and I wish they'd bring back today. So I 
I kind of had a curiosity, and the only frame of reference I had was American football on that. And I loved your analogy in the first um, episode where you said it was like you were trying to, you know, watch and comprehend a game of Quidditch. And it just completely <laughs> blew my mind of, you know, what is this? You know, who, when are they eventually going to try to score some touchdowns? And, you know, why aren't they passing the ball? And it took me a while to get my head around it, but, I, but I, it always stuck with me and it made an impression on me. And one of the highlights that I will always remember uh, of just kind of filing it away as something I need to to remember is there was a pig that was released on the field uh, at the Sydney Cricket Ground. And there's a famous call, I believe, by Sandy Roberts. And he is like, there's a pig on the field at full forward. Okay, and and it was it had the name Plugger written on it, which was one of the players back then. And and so I, you know, for me, you know, here you are, you know, basically people fighting in the mud trying to play football, and you have pigs on the field. Um, and so that was my first impression. Now, now fast forward a few years, my wife and I honeymooned uh, to New Zealand, and we caught a uh, a Geelong game. And I had was trying to explain to her what Australian rules football was based on this, you know many years old recollection that I've ever counted for you. And uh, we got to watch Stevie J play, uh, Stevie Johnson. And he, you know, to watch his both brilliance and his risk taking uh, and to watch his moments of brilliance, but then, you know, a couple of face palm moments as well, just always stuck with me as well. And it set up our later move to Australia and where I would get deeply invested into Australian rules football. Uh, I support the GWS Giants in that I moved to Australia in 2010 when the GWS was just getting started and I became a foundation member. Uh, my thinking was that they were new to Australia. I was new to Australia. I knew I wanted to learn the game. I was already kind of entranced by it. And I'm the type of person that just jumps in with both feet and, and gets stuck into something. So I actually, uh, we, like I said, my, my, Family and I became foundation members. Um, we watched, I used to watch the their home ground being constructed on a webcam. Oh, wow. uh, I went to their first family days. I went to their first team gatherings. I, you know, I t had a look at their first draft. And especially back in the early days, they used to be a very fan-friendly and accessible club as they were trying to put down uh, roots in Western Sydney. And they the players would hold over after the game. They would be all lined up at a table. They would greet you and talk to you and sign whatever you want to. And they were very, very approachable. And I, that's one thing I love about the club is they've never lost that connection with the fans and doing things a little bit different and more intimate that a startup team usually does. Uh, and so that's how I came to to learn about uh, the, uh, the sport of Australian rules football and support the GWS Giants as an American who has migrated to Australia. Um, I love all of that. I wanted to just be like, wow, while you were talking, but I didn't want to interrupt you. I felt like, <laughs> I feel like that was like a Maddie Nichols bounce. It was like incredibly satisfying because it was just like perfect. So thanks for that. Um, and sorry to like kind of continue along that, but I just wanted to know about your experience kind of going to your first game, just being an American when you were like on the grounds, like you know, I think you and I have talked about it a little bit, but maybe sometimes just like how others view you because they might just like hear you speaking and kind of be like, like, what are you doing here? I mean, have you ever had any like interesting experiences there? It's different being an American with a strong American accent in Australia. Um, people think people automatically think that you're a tourist because not a lot of Americans live here, even though the cultures are, are pretty similar to one another. Um, especially being in Melbourne, you know, they, they kind of peg you as an outsider straight away. 
And being able to talk about, let's say, tackling pressure in the forward 50s or hitouts to advantage or to be, you know, very literate in footy, they it catches the Australians off guard. And it also helps them to warm to you really fast because a lot of people move here and they try to and they don't necessarily want to assimilate. And so, you know, the fact that you're able to speak the language that you've become, you know, spent the time to to research and get invested in the national sport um, helps, I think to to show the Australians that you're here not necessarily as the ugly American, you know, here to dictate that America is the greatest place in the world and everything should be like America, but you're, you're appreciating Australia on its terms. Um, you know, I've, I actually joined the cheer squad for GWS yes, for, for a few I years. And yeah, sat in, sat, you know, behind the goalpost and just got stuck right in. And yeah, there's always some questions. People always want to know your story. Um, and once you kind of tell them, just like I've told you, it, you know, it knocks down the barriers and they welcome you with open arms and you're, and you're one of them, you're one of their mates really fast. Oh my gosh. I love it. I cheer squad is like my dream eventually, like someday, someday I'd love to just kind of be a part of that. So, um, thanks for that. And Chizo, I guess, how did you find the team that you barrack for, I guess, was it by default or decision? I feel like a lot of Australians just kind of support who their parents maybe support. So I just kind of wanted to know if you wouldn't mind sharing. I've thought about this answer for a long period of time. And I honestly have nothing satisfactory for you other than the fact that when I was nine or 10 years old, Essendon was actually a decent team. <laughs> I'm significantly older than that now, and they have never been a decent team since. So I'm really questioning my decision as why I went with them. So if you're, if you're ever looking for advice, don't just follow the team that's good now because in the future they may not be. <laughs> so are you um, saying that your family yeah. doesn't support Essendon? No, no. We all support <laughs> completely different teams. We have no overlap um, whatsoever. Uh, I know my sister and my mum both go for uh, teams because they like the colours. Uh, I went for Essendon because they were, I think they were good at the time, which this is like 99, 2000 when they were, um, you know, top of the ladder and you're basically unbeatable. Um, and, and a lot of, you get a lot of predictions about what you should go for or what team you should support based on where you come from, because the state that I grew up in has no AFL team. So there's no de facto kind of, or no default team that you end up going for. So you actually have the full range of choice. Whereas if you've got someone, uh, you know, growing up in a region that has an AFL side, you're almost by default end up following them because you're, you know, regional based. So um, I didn't kind of get pigeonholed into anyone and got to choose from, you know, I had the the pick of the litter and ended up with Essendon. And um, at, at this point in time, it's not working out great. <laughs> well, that's, that makes it sound like you like regret your decision making. Oh, absolutely. Have you seen how bad Essendon has <laughs> been for 20, for I 20 years? I have so many questions specifically about that club for you, but we'll we'll get to that. Um, so just in the light of Kobe, um, RIP kind of passing, I'm just wondering, and I always think of this in terms of personally like an American idol, but I'm wondering who your personal like Kobe's are in the AFL, like maybe someone you look up to or someone that inspires you, like a current or former player. And I mean, not just like who everyone says, you know what I mean? Just like you personally, I'm just curious. Like, I just want to get to know you better. So. Yeah, sure. Um, I think honestly coming, you, you always gravitate to the side that you support. And so I, obviously my AFL hero was James Hurd. He was our Brown last Brownlow medalist, our last premiership captain. Um, and 
a lot of things have changed in the last 10 years by how he's perceived by the public for many reasons that we don't need to go into details. <laughs> um, but he is still just, I, I'll watch, you know, highlights of his on YouTube from time to time, just because, because I just thought he was a phenomenal player, a phenomenal leader, played the game in the right spirit and had the ability to put the team on his shoulders. And, you know, if, we were down and out, he would find something else. He would he would enjoy the difficulty and the, you know, the when the game becomes almost lost, he would find a way to rise another level. Uh, and I always admired that. And obviously that's, you know, you've got, you've, you're biased towards the team that you support, but he'll, I think if, you know, if him and his prime will forever be, you know, my idol in terms of AFL. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I don't think like anybody would argue that Hurdy's like or w- was a great player. Um, and like you said, we oh, he was sensational. But like th- <laughs> things off the field are things off the field. But on the field, he was just the things that he could he could change the game and put you know put the team on his shoulders and make them you know stand up straighter when they thought that things weren't going their way. And a, a, a true leader has the ability to do that. And that's, it's not something you can really learn. And it, it's more of a, um, you an, an innate ability that, um, you know, not, not too many people share in, in the, you know, the grand scheme of things. Right. And how about you, Doc? I think the first person that really grabbed my attention was, was Gary Ablett. Uh, moving here in 2010, I got to see Senior? him in his prime and, uh, junior, junior, sorry, right. junior, actually, and he is old. Yeah, it, it, I, I understand where you got senior from, and we know we know Doc's getting up there a little bit in age, but I'm so I, he sorry definitely to means make junior. an assumption. <laughs> it makes it even I worse. Should... Imagine him in a junior squad with pom poms now, doesn't it? Oh, oh my gosh, I'm gonna just. I have some choice words for you that I'll. I'm gonna be looking for you, just so I know you're not gonna be like you're not in the cheer squad anymore. But it'll just be something I think about when I see GSW games. I'm sorry. So Gary Ablett Jr. So so Gary Ablett, and and it was such a spectacle that my wife and I would go to neutral games out at what was then Eddie Head Stadium here in Melbourne when. Uh, Gold Coast would be in town. I mean, we would go, we went to the Gold Coast St. Kilda game, which was not the most wow. competitive of games in the whole <laughs> world, but uh, just to see him play. And we were just both, mes- we were just mesmerized uh, by what he could do and the and the impact he had on the game. Um, as I already mentioned, Stevie Johnson was one of my, uh, you know, I couldn't, you can't take your eyes off of, you couldn't take your eyes off of Stevie J. He was either going to do something brilliant or, as I mentioned, just kind of a facepalm when, when if, if that high-risk, high-reward activity didn't quite work out in his favor. But I think the modern-day um, Stevie J, and there's a bit of uh, continuity within GWS in this, is I love watching Toby Green. And I know he gets a bad rap from, from so many people in the community, and, and deservedly so. Uh, I can tell you that, as I mentioned, um, Toby Green would, would be there after the games. He was one of the most friendly, uh, engaging uh, players that are some people are there just you know putting in their time and can't wait to get off and go do whatever they were doing <laughs> when we come by he would he would hear our accents he would want to know where we were from why we were there um, ask us some questions just have a dialogue while he was signing things like that a, a you know it's hard to it's hard to say that it's genuine but he was in that in that environment a genuinely friendly outgoing guy and I love watching him uh on the field, and I have a respect for how he carried himself with me and my family. Okay. 
Fair enough. Um, I agree with you I, about what you said, everything about Toby Green, actually, because he is a great player, but I feel like he's so feisty when he's on the field. And I have to say, too, when I first started watching games just on TV, I think I would get the impression, too, when the players have their game face on field that they're, like, really intimidating and maybe scary. And then you would see them afterwards, and they're, like, handing out, you know, footies to, like, little kids and just, like, shaking hands with and, like, just really so, like, approachable and relatable, like, with the media, too. And it would just be funny to, like... Like, see, I remember the first time I saw, like, even Tomahawk. I was like, he's so scary. And then, like, afterwards, smiling. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is, like, such a different. Um, but I guess because you guys shared your experiences, too. I just, I went to three games last year, just to let you guys know a little bit more about me. And um, I think, so I went to Anzac Day Eve and Anzac Day. And then I went to another game just, like, within the time period that I was visiting at you know, Eddie had, I guess, like it's Marvel now or whatever. It'll be really hard for me to ever call it that. But um, so I saw like another game there just because I'm so obsessed and I was just trying to fit in as many games as I could. So and I think part of your experience, Doc, I think a lot of people were just maybe curious when I was lining up super early because of my accent. I'm Asian American. So I think that that was like another layer of like I didn't really see a lot of Asians there, at least in the section that we were in. Um and I think everyone just thought I was a tourist or maybe just kind of along for the ride. And then I think when people are cheering, like when I'm screaming, I guess it's not in doubt. Like I would tell my boyfriend, I'm like, oh, nobody knows I'm American, babe. Like people can't tell I'm American. It's, it's totally fine. He's like, no, you like really stand out. And I guess even <laughs> when I'm screaming for like players or whatever, I guess it just doesn't sound like it's not an Australian accent. So I think that that was just kind of one of those things where I'm like, I totally get where you're coming from because I kind of went through all of that. Um, and I guess, Chizo, have you ever been to like an American game or um, an American sport in general? I'm just curious. Uh, not in any way, shape or form, but I should also point out that I haven't been to a whole lot of AFL games because I live in, I've always lived in areas where um, it's just not a region that has you know, it holds AFL games. So um, the states that I've lived in have never like re um, reliably given me access to the game. So uh, I think I can count on one hand how many games I've been to in my entire history of following the AFL, which probably sounds, it blows your mind that I could be this invested in a sport does, from my actually. home country <laughs> that I can't even go and watch. And so it's, it's like a birthday party every time I get to go and see a game because they're just so infrequently. I kind of see maybe one or two every couple years. So oh, wow. um, it, it's like w whenever I end up in a city that's holding a game, that's the first thing I'm looking for. I'm going to be in Melbourne on this date. Who's playing? Oh, none of my teams. I don't care. I'm going to go watch someone. And so for some reason, I always end up watching Carlton and Sydney. I think out of the five or six games I've watched, I've watched them three times somehow. That's <laughs> uh, to totally pure dumb luck. But, um, you know, I've, I've had the pleasure of watching Buddy in his prime, so I can't oh, argue wow. too much. Yeah. No, that would be amazing. Um, so I guess, Doc, now, like, going back to you, um, because I, I was just curious about, like, what you had seen. So I think Doc can attest to this. There is so much like pomp and circumstance like surrounding our sports and game days here. Um, you know, we sing the national anthem at every game. There's tailgating. All of the coverage on TV starts like 10 hours before a game. 
and there are all of the entertainment is kind of built around game day. I mean, even during the games, there's like t-shirt cannons blasting into the crowd. Like, how did you find the day, game day like experience, I guess, in contrast there in Australia? Because it's just like a completely different feel. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's changed since I've been here over the, the decade I've been in Australia. It Now, Chizo, you're going to have to I'm sure you can correct and expand on what I'm about to say, but sure. the the VFL, as I understand it, uh, grew up. Uh, the VFL is the predecessor to the AFL, and every team had a suburban home ground. So it was oftentimes, you know, parks or the beginnings of stadiums with that would have you know walk up seating on hills that turned into bleachers, et cetera. So it kind of you know AFL at its roots, as I understand it, has a very uh, approachable, uh, but also not a sense of kind of a, a a grand put on, like as you mentioned, like the American sports, because it's it has rather humble roots in as a suburban um, in suburban footy grounds. Then, in especially in Melbourne, you've had the consolidation of all the different Melbourne teams into two stadiums: the MCG and now and now Marvel Stadium. When I first got here in 2010, you you still had. I think it was trying to continue to be a traditional game without a lot of pomp and circumstance. And over the last 10 years, you've seen, let's say, the introduction of LED scoreboards that surround the ground. You've seen the introduction of a lot of rock music that starts to resemble almost like a modern day NBA stadium experience. That is done for, you know, the league would say for additional revenues and fan engagement and fan enjoyment. But there was a lot of traditionalists who felt that the sport and especially that environment that you're touching on was becoming too American. And it was, it was taking its, you know, taking more of its influence from the NBA and the NFL than it was from the old suburban AFL ground. So unfortunately I think it's here to stay uh, I don't see them because the revenue dollars and the advertising dollars that are attached to it, I don't see it ever going backwards and being more traditional for it. Um, there is something I think that's that's overdone uh, today, and it doesn't always fit. It seems like they're trying to evolve the, quote, fan experience faster than the, especially the traditional fans are ready for it to evolve. And, you know, perhaps they need to think about how can they balance those two aspects, both the traditional needs of the traditional fans, plus the needs for presentation value, not only to the people in the stadium, but the people watching on TV at home. And I think we can all agree that AFLX was not the answer to that. Yeah, I it think we can all agree on that. I thought you were going to be like, <laughs> no, I loved well, it. I'm like, oh, God. No, no, no. There's but hold on. The, Doc would say that. No, no, no. The, the, the idea of AFLX was to play a, 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 something that resembled an AFL game on a rectangular stadium. So it could Agreed. be played on a soccer pitch or a football pitch, which if there's, you know, if you were going to find a cricket ground, those are much harder to find, but there's soccer grounds and, and uh, football grounds. Uh, you know, whatever your code of football, you know, pretty much throughout the world. So I think the idea of how can you play a fast paced game that is high on skill, high on contact uh, with no pads and how can you play it on a rectangular pitch to make it something that is exportable and replicatable, uh, if I'm making up a word there, <laughs> um, around the world, it was, that was an admirable goal in and of itself. And then you're right, they threw, they tried to make it into some kind of bastardized 
uh, new experience that was really heavy on promotion and rock music and this and that. And it just became an experience that wasn't satisfactory to anyone. I think, if, if, I, oh yeah. mm-hmm. if, if I interject just for a moment, the way that I kind of look at it is the AFL in, in, in its, its fans and the people that come to watch it, we have the fourth highest average attendance record for sport games in the world in, in a population that's half the size of California. Now, to put that in perspective. And so, so many decisions rely on keeping the fans on side because they, in Australia, they're just fanatical, right? We're just crazy passionate about our sport. So when you try something new or change one rule or the interpretation of one, one rule, it has such a massive flow-on effect because we just have – it's just a culture of going to watch these games. So when they come out – with a version of the game completely different and in the public's perspective literally only as a way to see if they can increase revenue around the world the fans look at that and go well that's not what i signed up for that's not to me that's not football that's not afl i don't like it and so it's more of a fact that the CEOs and the people that make these decisions are so clearly trying to um, go against what the fans actually enjoy that we tend to kind of push back and say, no, this is not what we ask for. We, we want our traditions to stay the same. We don't want to turn this into a commercialized thing where the rules are just to make it more enjoyable for audiences that don't understand the game. Because there's that underlying concern that every year they add more rules or change new rules. And in 10 years' time, we might have a completely different game that's going down the commercialized route. And I think that kind of ties in with what you were saying, Doc. And when you've got so many people invested in this sport, it's very easy to get them offside if you're, you know, giving a politician's answer where they're they're just not open, being open about the fact that they are trying to. Um, make a more commercialized version of the game, and so everyone can see through that BS. And then just like, well, I'm not going to support. I'm not going to support this. And from a from someone that's grown up with the sport, that's kind of my perspective about why AFLX didn't work is because they didn't take the feelings of the people that actually love this game and grew up with this game into account when they decided to make AFLX. Yeah, two two follow up points to what Chizo was saying on on two different counts. Um, one thing, as being both an American, I'm now a dual citizen of the U.S. and Australia, and I do a lot of bridge what I'll call bridge work in corporations, where I try to you know promote common understanding uh, across across the ocean of, about both countries and both cultures. I think a lot of people don't realize that the landmass size of the continental United States and Australia is within one percent of each other. Uh, in terms of of the area, right. but Australia has basically, in the same size, being the same landmass size as the continental United States, has basically the population of Greater Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think people equate just how big Australia is and just how sparsely populated it is. And I think that's always an analogy, an analogy I try to use. And I know uh, Chiza was mentioning that as well, but it's it's it rings pretty true uh, in terms of of you know, just the comparison, just as a point of comparison between uh, just the basics of both cultures. The other thing I think that uh, the AFLX screwed up on was, and this is an interesting dynamic that you may not pick up on being from the U.S., is p- 
people are fanatical supporters of their clubs. As a league, people are lukewarm at best about the whole idea of the AFL. And there's a, you know, when people get unhappy with the league, there's always this kind of level of thinking that the clubs don't need the league. The league needs the clubs more than the club needs the league. Because if the AFL were to do something crazy, uh, as Chizo mentioned, to go too far too fast, there's always this level of thinking that the clubs, just as it is, it went from the VFL to the AFL, could reorganize into the new FL, whatever it is, and form a new league if the AFL gets too off. Uh, too out of kilter. And so that there's always this weird dynamic between club and league and people are much more loyal to their clubs than they are to the concept of AFL or the organization of the AFL. And one of the missteps that I think AFL got, AFL X got wrong, but AFLW, the women's game got right, is that they went for um, uh, new franchises or new entrants of existing clubs. So in the AFL X, you had like, you know, Jack Rewalt's Renegades versus Eddie Betts's whatever's versus this and that. And they were just made up teams. And there was no inherent brand recognition or brand loyalty that goes along with that versus, versus the AFLW game has been established under the existing club. So Collingwood has an entry. You know, Richmond has an entry. GWS has an entry. So you have your natural fan base that is already loyal to the colors, loyal to your song, loyal to the identity of the club. And they're simply appending and they're including the women's team into what is then becomes another franchise of this club. And there are these same clubs have, let's say, netball entries and other team sports entries. It becomes a group of different teams all playing different sports under one common identity. And I think the AFLX would have had a better chance if it would have picked four clubs to compete against each other so that you would have had some inherent club rivalries and you would have invoked all the passion associated with barracking with your club and against someone else's club versus some kind of generic brand that, as Chiza mentioned, that was just for, that was an obvious cash grab that people had no inherent loyalty to. Right. I mean, I agree with everything that you both said. Um, I think, and you made some really great points, both of you, about just behind the scenes and kind of watching it too. Because I know just from the outset, I was like, ooh, cryo and confetti now. I mean, in theory, yes, I would love for the game to be here, for instance, and, you know, to be an international sport. But I kind of do want it to, I just feel like with conception on the way to like, I don't know, actualization, you know, there are things that were lost there. So, um but more kind of along the point of just defining differences, um, Doc, I did just want to ask you about, so <laughs> cheerleading, sorry to say this word, um, Chizo, <laughs> but it's just such an ingrained part of our sports culture here. I feel like any kid with, you know, an affinity for sports is automatically like, I want to be a quarterback or like, or cheerleader, you know? So beyond like the brief stints that I saw of like the Bluebirds and the Swanettes, I think it was like mainly in the 80s. Um, was this like a noticeable difference to you when you were watching? The lack of cheerleaders? Yes. Is that what you're... <laughs> it's noticeable. I also thought that it it would have been a, another attempt at emulating American sports that because it didn't, it wasn't in the the suburban roots of the game. I don't believe, Chizo, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. Yeah, no. I don't think they've ever had cheerleaders. Cheerleaders were not part of the spectacle. And I, I'm sure some teams have tried it. You seem to have, have uh, alluded to a few of the clubs. I don't think it would be a welcome addition. And I think you would, um, 
you know, again, think that the league or somebody had taken an idea too far of trying to be something that it's not by adopting and trying to push cheerleaders down the throats of the, of the patrons. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I think it would just be kind of more of like becoming more American. Um, Chizo, I know they don't get a ton of airtime, but was this something you observed as a difference when you were watching American sports? I think Doc's nailing it on the on the head there. Like it, we prefer, I don't want to say we prefer tradition, but we're a lot more um, kind of hesitant to change the roots of the game. Like um, we still have this underlying. Yes, it's it's now commercial and it's a, a big business in Australia, and we go to really big, expensive stadiums to watch the game. But it's still got that local suburban feel to it where you can go down to your local club here and it's absolutely freezing cold but everyone turns out to watch you grab uh, a beer and a party pie from the canteen and you sit down and you watch you know 40 odd guys just run full head and steam into each other and it, i think trying to make it and and these days it's so obvious when they're trying to make things commercial especially when they don't admit to it um, that it just almost makes it worse when that happens. So uh, I think if we brought anything in in terms of, um, you know, further commercialization and um, you, we want it to it's, – it's our, like, national sport. It's something that we've come up with and it's been around for, you know, 150 years, right? So if we suddenly brought in things from other – um, other countries' traditions, it feels it, it feels wrong. It, it feels like our traditions are being, um, you know, put to the wayside in preference for ways to try and grab some more dollars. And that's just all that does is just kind of make the traditionalists like me that like the feeling of sitting down at a major stadium and it still feels like your local park. They're the things that I think a lot of Australian supporters turn their nose up to. Okay, perfect. I think that was a great way to sum up just kind of both Australian and American perspectives. Um, I guess I just want to talk about your clubs because I'm just so curious about how you guys feel about them. Um, and I guess Doc, but I mean, Chizo, chime in. Um, so mm -hmm. GWS has just been greenlighted to kind of investigate into playing round one in America. So how do you feel about that? And who do you guys think would be the best opponent to kind of face off with them abroad? So the AFL being Australian rules ha has long sought to take the sport past its own borders. And there, St. Kilda, uh, as I've been here, played uh, games for premiership points in New Zealand a few years ago. You have the Port Adelaide game taking it to China. I think the, the idea of playing in the U.S. is ambitious, and I think it's time. I think it's, I think it's a calculated risk that as a lot of Americans are perhaps getting turned off of NFL for, for different reasons, they're looking for a new sporting experience. And I think playing a game on U.S. soil for competition points is, is a risk worth taking. Uh, I wouldn't expect it to be uh, heavily attended. I, I would expect there to be a lot of curiosity uh, I know they played an NRL game in Denver uh, a, a couple of years ago uh, where there was some curiosity about this. I, I think it's a risk worth taking, and I support my club uh, 
in doing so. I, I worry about the logistics greatly because I've done the LA to Australia flight many times, and that's not an easy flight <laughs> to make on the body. And so they'd have to find some very unique scheduling and let's say do it as the first game of the season uh, that's far in advance of the traditional Richmond uh, Carlton opener uh, so that they could have time to both travel to the U.S. and assimilate uh, onto U.S. time, but then also make the reverse trip back and come to Australia. So I fear for player well-being and player health, and I think it could be disruptive to the team's flow as they're perhaps starting the season. But I, I like the idea of it. And, and I hope that it's, it, it succeeds. As far as an ideal opponent, I saw a great article on this uh, the other day. Uh, it mentioned Nat Fife and Frio uh, being, uh, has expressed interest in being an opponent for GWS. Now, I think that's a great idea. Uh, Nat Fife is a handsome young man. <laughs> and uh, I think if, you know, Australian sports, look, if you're, if you're, a, if you're a lady in the United States and, and you like to watch uh, free-flowing sports, uh, and you like the, your guys to be a little bit on the physical side as well as being skilled. And you like to do them in short shorts and sleeveless shirts. Um, <laughs> Australian rules football is the sport for you. And then you <laughs> add in the good looks of Nat Fife and his long uh, flowing blonde locks into that. I think having Nat Fife as one of the faces of Australian rules football to to rock up and front up to the press and do all the junkets out there you couldn't find a better ambassador to to represent australian football to both the men and women of the united states than nat fife well spoken doc um i think you and i have slightly different definitions of who would be like a better ambassador in that particular scenario <laughs> but um i kind of want to just take what you said and make like a commercial or campaign like on behalf of the afl just because i feel like you have said it better than anyone i've heard so far but also it's so believable like i would be like yeah i would vote for that um and i'm interested in going regardless of you know who actually gets to play whether or not my team will be there like you know i just i want to see that over here so i think and i do think that you're right about the interest level and kind of changing interests like and the dynamic and kind of like I, I don't want to say the cityscape or like the sportscape here anyways. I think I agree with you in terms of like how that's changing and there may be a craving for something more. So, um, and wh who do you think would be the best opponent, Shizo? I'm just curious. Well, I think Doc nails it just to go back right to the start of his point that um, it's totally worth taking the risk and it's really low risk anyway because if no one turns up, in LA, then what's the difference to here? Because no one, uh, four people go to watch GWS at the moment and Doc's one. I was going to say um, that, but I didn't want to hurt his feelings. I'm sorry, continue. <laughs> I'm like, they're used to so, that like crowd level anyways. So so that doesn't matter. And and I, I, th I think there's definitely a market uh, where the traditional side of our game would definitely appeal to a large percentage um, of an American audience. So I, I think if it becomes more readily available, that'd be fine. Um, I would probably not have it at the start of the year because of the same travel um, reasons that Doc put uh, put in place. I think if we're going to have like an overseas, you know, few games, why not have them as like an overseas kind of round? So like we've got an LA game, we've got a China game, we've got a New Zealand game kind of thing like that. It's like almost like this one big event where we're kind of pushing the the game out there rather than just have these little scattered and, and then you can have the buy the week after. So you, you've got that time to recover. But that, um, uh, 
that's kind of my point. What was the question again, Rosanna? <laughs> I, I, I always, I always it's have okay. this where I go yeah. on this tangent and doing? I just go we're in so my own surprised. little cul-de-sac. We're so surprised yeah, that just, you've taken this like I forget what we're talking about. Um, just Good who, Lord. the best opponent <laughs> that you Oh, the best opponent. Right, 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 right. <laughs> um, okay, I'm Bomber. Totally, uh, uh, <laughs> wow, that was perfect. I'm like high-fiving you. I think it can't be one of the big clubs because it would take – I think the AFL would be hard-pressed to do a big club like Collingwood or an Essendon like that for the reason that that would be taking away a guaranteed revenue that they would have in a game in Australia. If they're going to take a risk and experiment, it has to be with a side um, – that is less essential to the running of the AFL machine and keeping things ticking over. I mean, there's a reasons why there's reasons why the highly attended games, you know, all like we don't have a perfect fixture that's even for everyone because it, there's just games that get more fans to that are more lucrative. And so, rather than make it in 100% fair for everyone, there's a trade-off between the financial aspect of Essendon playing Collingwood twice a year, every year, for example. Um, so I agree with Doc that it has to be someone like a Frio, um, you know, maybe a North Melbourne or someone like that. Um, but you do also need to advertise it in a way where you've got a, you know, there's, there's only a few faces in the AFL and leadership positions that um, kind of bode well from an advertising perspective. And this is not uh, a blight on someone like Jack Zebel, but, um, you know, someone like Nat Fife um, would definitely be um, greater. They, they would get a greater reception from people, um, I think, just from the fact that when he tends to talk, people stand, you know, tend to sit up and listen to what he's got to say. Hi, everyone. It's Rosanna. And I really hate to cut Doc and Chizo off but we just have so much to discuss that I really feel like I need to break this into two different parts, but you won't have to worry. You won't have to wait as long. I'm going to be releasing the second part next week. So tune in next week. Thanks so much for listening and we'll talk footy soon.